0: Welcome to the Business Brains podcast, the podcast where we interview, you guessed it, smart people doing smart things in the world of business at Al. Today's Business Brain is a man who is a highly in-demand director in the arenas of television commercials, short films, and feature films. He's directed spots for McDonald's, Mazda, Kia, Captain Morgan, among others. He's made a feature film called Web Dultery, and his short films, The Moyle and Little Grey Bubbles, have gotten millions of views and won awards at festivals all over the world. Today's guest, today's business brain, is my friend, Charles Wall. Welcome, Charles.
1: Thanks, Paul. Happy to be here, man.
0: Uh, Happy to have you, man. Um, So you're a director, sir. You direct.
1: I do direct, yeah. uh, I've been making my living for a long time directing uh, content for uh, TV, Internet, um, and sometimes even the movie screen. saw a spot I did uh, on the screen before seeing Avatar a couple weeks ago.
0: Oh, congratulations. Thanks, man. Yeah, so it's cool. You see it, see it all around. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've always been interested in you because you're one of the few people I know who has never. You've only ever wanted to be a director, as far as I can tell, other than when you were in high school playing basketball. But you know, <laughs> a lot of those things don't work out. But from almost day one, you've been very clear your intentions of, of what you wanted to do with your career. So just kind of take us through your origin story, how you decided to become a director, and. uh yeah, those early years in just kind of getting your foot in the door. What what was your plan? What was your strategy? Did you have a strategy? Yeah, take take us through your origin story.
1: Sure. I, I mean, um I knew it was something I wanted to do very early on. Um, but I didn't get serious about it early on. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there I mean that's two different things. Um yeah. I like I I like I mean, like a lot of people who grew up like we did, was like always super into movies, right? Like I was always just really into them, loved them. Um, I was maybe more into movies and pop culture than like, I found a lot of my friends around me. Um, but, uh, but I was always super into them, but I never thought about it as a career or anything like that. But then once I got into high school, um, my high school had a film class, which at that time was very unique. Like that wasn't common in, in, uh, in high schools in Toronto at the time, um, And even before I, but I wasn't allowed to take the film class until grade 12. (laughs) But before that, I was allowed to take media classes. uh, And then in those media classes, we would make like little fun videos and stuff like that and started to get started to get me into it. You know what I mean? I still didn't think, oh, I want to make films, but I started to get like into the process and start develop an understanding of like how you film different pieces and edit them. together. It started to demystify things essentially a little bit for me. Um, throughout that process but like also during that time this was the time like Pulp Fiction came out you yeah know what I mean? like the the whole like 90s indie boom started to happen around the time I was in high school and I remember being too young to get into Pulp Fiction but some older friends snuck me in and I remember seeing that in the theater and it kind of like really blowing my mind um, yeah and then and then obviously that sent me down the Tarantino rabbit hole right I remember renting Reservoir Dogs like the next day seeing True Romance uh, and then, you know, that parlayed into like El Mariachi and seeing like Robert Rodriguez story. And then it just started to really open up a lot for me. Uh, and around that time too, um, uh, I saw Clockwork Orange for the first time. Cause that was one of those posters that always freaked me out growing up. Like I remember seeing it as a kid, yeah. and seeing it in the video store and it was always kind of like freaky to me and it like it weirded me out. And I remember around that time seeing, finally seeing it and it having like a real impact on me. Cause it was one of the first times where and it, and it was a time when my mind was open to it because Pulp Fiction was the first time where I was like oh okay so movies don't have to be like everything I see they can be right. different they can even though Pulp Fiction obviously he's pulling from a million different things but in a way that's so unique to him right and you mm-hmm. know and when you're like 15 years old you don't get that right you don't know all of the obscure references at that time but it really started to open my mind to like wow okay like a person did this you know what I mean? And a person, everything's yeah. different. And then seeing clockwork orange really made me think, Oh, like there's like an author to this. This is like, it didn't feel just like a studio. It felt like literally, like it was so unique, so different, whether you like the movie or not, it's, it, it, it just felt like something different and it had a real impact on me. Um, mm-hmm. And then finally around that time I took that film class in high school. And in that film class, this teacher, it was mostly theory. Um, because this is like in the VHS high eight days, right? So it's not like there's mini DV cameras where it's like easy to. I, I mean, that's a whole separate story. But like, he started to open our open me up in the class up to like Canadian cinema, independent cinema, like beyond just what was becoming popular and international cinema. And so all of this stuff was happening at the same time, and it was really opening my mind to cinema. But one of the things he did too is you had to make a short film in the class. And you had to make new friends. And it's not like they gave you much, but he gave you like foundational, um, uh, like he taught us some foundational stuff. But he was essentially, just go out and make a movie to the class. If you want to partner up with people, do it. If you want to do it on your own, do it like whatever. And me and my buddy Rajiv, we partnered up with a couple buddies of ours who had done it the year before. So they knew a bit more about it. And we made a, a short film together. And it was so much fun. It was like the first project I ever took like insanely serious at school we made a little gangster movie um it was called retribution
0: oh you still remember uh, the name okay is it still course. around can we can uh, we watch it's it it's not
1: it's not online anywhere i hope it's not oh, okay. online anywhere. like we're all in it and it's pretty rough <laughs> to look at It's shot in you know vhs um but dude we took it so seriously we put all our friends in it and like i remember once we got into editing like put it into black and white we're like making shots in slow motion like you know we thought we were John Woo all of a sudden yeah. playing all this like amazing hip-hop tracks over it and like it was so fucking pardon the swearing it was so awesome and yeah. uh, I remember showing it in the class and like it was just like heads and tails more fun to watch than anyone else's you know what I mean it was fun okay. and exciting and ended up getting to a point where like people we, we had to, we were screening it over and over again for people in the school like everyone wanted to watch it and there would be like crowds and like wherever we could get like a tv and a vcr to play it like it'd be like crowds in the library right or like in the cafeteria like we'd play it for everyone and we ended up making another one <laughs> here for the guys it was All the right. thing. Like, All right. so now you're that guy me. it wasn't just me it was me and my friends and we we're doing okay. it together and um and so again, all this stuff was perfect timing, right? Like, you know, like the, I, I'm experiencing this stuff, having fun and that was the big thing. I was having fun. It was something I was doing where I was enjoying myself. I was putting a lot of pressure on myself, mind you, already, but I was having a lot of fun because like I was doing it with my friends. You know what I mean? And I mean, that's something I still carry with me to today. But like, I was with friends. I was hanging out, having a great time, just making stuff with my friends. <laughs> and that's like really all it came down to. And like it, it that completely demystified the process for me that was when I was just like oh okay like regular human beings can do this and like have fun doing it and do something entertaining like I had no thoughts of like Hollywood or anything like that but I was just like maybe this is something that can happen um so that's when I started to like seriously think about it um Mm -hmm. but uh out of high school like I didn't go to university right away or anything I actually lived in in England for a little while um, I even took some acting classes and stuff like that, just to like, you know, just do stuff, you know what I mean? But I didn't like try and get an agent or anything like that. I was just, just doing stuff while I was living there. Right. Um, and then a buddy of mine wanted to make an indie movie in Toronto. Um, he wanted to just do the Robert Rodriguez thing I remember when I was in England I read The Rebel Without a Crew book and I was just like oh yeah anyone can do this, like, this is yeah great. me too I it's like the best book ever man and yeah uh, it's funny I met him like a few years ago finally and yeah. I was just like I told him I'm like man like you, you changed my life with this book yeah <laughs> I don't think you realize it and he just looked at me he's like I'm sorry you know but like <laughs> but come to my that's come funny. to this other like workshop I'm doing like it's because uh, it was at South by Southwest I wanted like the filmmaker get togethers okay and he was like and he's like I'm doing this workshop about this new anyway that's that's a whole other rabbit hole but it was incredible Mm -hmm. to actually meet him because that book did really alter the course of my life uh but a buddy of mine was making an indie movie he's like man come down let's do it together man i can get some investment from some family and let's just like let's rock and roll let's do this i was like okay like i had nothing else going on like i wasn't like i was no plans to go to university at that point like no i had no plans like i said like i didn't get serious about anything for a little while and then uh but i was like this sounds awesome so I came down and we we're going to like, he got some money from family. He bought like an XL one. We we're like, we didn't know the difference between like, we just thought digital. Like we didn't realize that like, like we weren't educated because we, like we knew star Wars was being shot on some digital cameras, but like we didn't know <laughs> the difference between like George Lucas using these huge HD cameras versus like mini DV. We were just like, Oh, this is digital cameras. This should work. But anyway, we got an XL one and we started shooting. We spent like an entire summer, dude, like just shooting like pieces of this feature script and you know ultimately we never finished it um because we're just I mean we're kids we weren't serious we were all over the place but the good thing that came from it though um is that like it did give us a lot of reps man of just like shooting stuff and like figuring things out and man like even though the film was never finished like some of the scenes we shot were pretty cool man like they were pretty wild pretty interesting like I know people have seen some of the footage years later it's not me who has it it's my friend pasha who has it all and uh and and he's shown it to people and people have been like man you should do something out of this cuz there is some actually like legitimately interesting stuff like we were just kids free and like really experimenting and uh and it gave me a lot of reps of just just shooting being around being working with people how collaborate everyone was way more experienced than me and just like it, it gave me it gave me maybe a bit more confidence going into things than I should have had because, <laughs> because of that. Um, but it did get because I didn't do anything good. It's not like I came out of that experience with something I could show people, but it, it at least gave it really um got me more comfortable with the process of putting scenes together and stuff like that. Um and I met a lot of people. And through that, I started actually volunteering on other sets. Like, other. even though I wasn't in school, I would go on other student film sets with people I'd met. And, like, I would, you know, like, be a camera assistant. And that's just stuff shot on film then, too, right? So I would, like, load film cameras or, like, you know, change lenses, set up tripods, set up
0: lights, do whatever. Um, people don't realize that back before digital, people really shot on film. And it was very expensive. And. Oh, yeah the way to change magazines on film cameras, it was a whole ninja thing where you had to do it without seeing it. You had to put your hands in a lightless bag and all these things. It was a real expensive process back in the day.
1: Oh yeah. And, and, and just shooting is different too, because you're not seeing your footage for like, I mean, especially on a student film or like an indie, like I just worked on indie stuff when I was like, I mean, this is, I'm 19, 20 years old. Right. So I'm only working on like indie stuff and student things. And like these people can't afford to get the dailies that night. Right. You know what I mean? So they're not seeing the footage sometimes for like a week or, like, right. you know, in some cases, in some cases it's the next day, depending on where they live. But like, I remember working on one, like indie short um, with my buddy, my buddy, Richard was the DP on it. And I came down and assisted him and um, because they shot it in Barry and uh, they, they could. And so for people listening who don't know, Barry is like about an hour and a half away from Toronto. Um, like that in that zone right and um yep. maybe two hours hour and a half two i can't remember um maybe even a little just up. picture an hour. picture letter kenny it's a similar to situations <laughs> okay. yeah and i remember we shot that and i don't think they saw they've got the footage back and like the, or they at least they didn't see the footage that we shot for like two weeks so that's wow. crazy <laughs> wow. you know what I mean? yeah. Whereas now it's like we see things right away that's what we're to. Yeah. which is great like i love that that we can do that mm-hmm. now um uh but anyway I'm digressing so I did a lot of that kind of stuff and and it just started to like you know I just started to like I mean I was still working as a waiter though too and stuff like that to like actually make money but again I wasn't serious at this point I knew I still did want to be a director um and I so uh, so
0: what, what were the po- kind of possibilities bumping around in your head about where you're going to go with your life was directing even one of them or, or
1: directing was definitely one of them. It was something I was like, you know what? I want to do this. But like I said, I just wasn't the most serious guy in my, in like around that time, in my early twenties. Like I did, uh, but I didn't know I wanted to do it. So I actually even, I think when I was 21 um, I was like, I'm going to make my own short film because I had like worked on so many other peoples and stuff like that. So um, I started working on a script with a buddy of mine uh, and then me and my buddy Richie kind of just on our own self-funded made this, this short film called coffee shop. Mm -hmm. um and we actually got it into some good festivals we sold it actually we sold it to um i think i think they're super channel now but they were called something else before back then
0: do you remember how much you sold it for
1: not i'm curious
0: to know how much these things go for i I have no idea how much it would be be, it'd be different
1: now dude this was a long time ago but i think yeah but at the
0: time do you have any idea i think it was around three thousand dollars hey i'll take it three thousand sure we were were happy dude we were just happy to get the movie like sold it was amazing Yeah.
1: Um, and that too is a whole like learning process, like learning with the deliverable. We didn't even know about deliverables and how that worked,
0: and all these like
1: <laughs> ways we needed to do
0: it. So we're like learning on the fly and stuff. Well, it's it's funny because this is back before the internet was really any good at, for information, and you no one knew anything. No one knew how to do anything. We you had to just figure it out, you know. And so yeah. Well the internet was kicking then but it wasn't
1: you it's definitely wasn't what it was now like you know what right. I mean? like I, by that point I was on the internet a lot and like you know the, we were using it a ton, but there wasn't uh, like youtube wasn't around
0: vimeo wasn't around um video on the internet wasn't the same it it just wasn't the same for sure right right the level of information wasn't even close to the way it is now i mean no yeah. no not not even near it
1: but it was getting there like it was it's not like by, by that point the internet was like in full bloom like <laughs> like it was it was real um, but, uh, but so where things start to kind of really change though was like my mom really kept stressing me to go to school. And I didn't want to go to school at all. I didn't see the point. I didn't really want to do it. But she was like, just please for me, like just get some form of piece of paper. So the thing is though, in high school, my grades weren't the best. <laughs> so like getting, even like with my portfolio that I had, like, cause I did at this point like develop, cause I was also super into photography. So I was taking photos a lot and like, I had like artistic works I could share to get into programs, but like my grades were pretty, not the best. They weren't bad, but they weren't like crazy strong. So um, I actually uh, never, I applied to like Ryerson, which at the time was like the best film school in Canada and, um, and I didn't get in. I was very close. Like they put me on the alternate list, but like I, so I went to ask them like, what, what is this? What's the deal? And they just told me straight up. They're like, honestly, man, your work's great. But like this being like a university, like how, how we let people in is based on like 50% their portfolio and 50% the grades. So mm-hmm. if your portfolio scores like a 90, but your grades score, like a 70, a person whose grades score a 90 you know what i mean and their th- and their portfolio is like an 80 we'll get in <laughs> and you won't right and they're like unfortunately like this is such a competitive program that your grades like again they're not bad but they're not great in that mm-hmm. like that, that and they they told me straight up they were very transparent they're like that worked against you in this situation uh they're honest you know? yeah I, exactly and then so um But at the same time, I didn't really want to go to any of these schools anyway, (laughs) right? So I was like, oh, mom, too bad. I can't do this, right? And then uh, someone told me about this technical course uh, called Travis, Travis Institute. And uh, and, uh, at the time, it was like pretty new for film. It was mostly known more as like an audio thing. Um, But I checked it out. It seemed kind of interesting. And I just wanted to get it done for my mom. You know what I mean? Like I was able to get like a grant to go to the school to help pay for it. And so I was like, I'll do it. It's nine months of my life. It's fine. You know what I mean? It's downtown. Yeah. I like being, I, I, you know, it's, it's around where I do things anyway. So I was like, let's do it. And, um and so I went there and, um, uh, and it was pretty bad when I was there. I, I, from what I understand, like it's, from what I understand, it's a lot better now, but at that point, like the person who ran the program, there was like a lot of issues. It was all over the place. Like wasn't very organized. Um, but like any school you get what you put into it. So I, I went into it knowing like, okay, I got to get something out of this. You know what I mean? So I worked very, very hard to like take advantage of being there and learn as much as I can meet as many people as I can, because a lot of the teachers did work in the industry, which was good. So I was able to get a lot of good advice from them, but also they did offer grants to students to make short films. And I worked really hard, um, to get one and i got and i got the the big 16 millimeter grant that they gave once a year um so that was like a goal of mine going into it to get that and i got it and i ended up like making my first like 16 millimeter short called past assault which was another film that like got into a lot of great student festivals sold it as well um and uh and i and and one of the things that that school taught me was how how quickly the film business can like demoralize people because a lot oh, no. of the students in the class you could see were Got demoralized by it all very quickly, and uh, like for example, of the people that I was in in my year there, I think maybe there's two that are still in the business. You know what I mean? One, Is it you one and are, Jerome? Yeah, me and Jerome. Jerome, you yeah. know Jerome? Yeah. So he's <laughs> he's, a, he's a working director as well, like really amazing director. Oh, and a friend of ours, Steve, who lives in the UK as well. He he's still in the business, like full time. Like he 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 does as well. But that was it. And because you, you can see a lot of people just weren't serious. Um about it and it like this business can kick the shit out of you fast. And this was even in school, it was kicking the shit out of people fast. Um, but then once I got through that, uh towards the end of my time there, someone had told me about this new new-ish post-grad program at Sheridan. Um, where you know they, they were and they were like, Hey man, uh they shoot stuff on 35 mil, they have IMAX cameras, it's just a year. And it's like all professionals. It's all people who are serious. Like, it's kind of like, a, 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 you know, an alternate version of the CFC was kind of how it was phrased to me, although it's nothing like the CFC. Mm-hmm. Um, So I went and I checked it out. I checked out the work that was being done there. And I was kind of blown away by it. Um, And I remember talking to the person who recommended it to me, I'm like, but listen, I don't actually have a legitimate undergraduate degree. You know what I mean? All I have is this course at trevis and a high school diploma. <laughs> that's it. And the person was like, and this is, this is great. They were like, don't worry, I'll talk to them for you. <laughs> so I applied. We'll make it work. Yeah. And uh, you know, but I had but you know, they accepted my short films as like stuff that they could look at and stuff that because I'd already done a couple at that point. Um and I got in. And that's where you and I met, right? Was that the, the course yeah. at Sheridan yeah. and uh did that for the year. And honestly, man, I loved it. I loved my time there. I thought it was a, a blast. Um I'm still very friends with like a lot of people that we met there. And uh, that was another one of those things where I went into it with the mindset of like, um, I'm only going to get what I put into this. You know what I mean? I can't be passive. I can't be, uh, otherwise there's no point in me going there. So I went in also very focused with, um, knowing I wanted to at least make another film while I was there, meet new people, uh, and do that even though i wasn't the most serious about my life at that point i still really wasn't but i knew like if i'm going to spend the money and the time here i should make an effort uh and you know i ended up making two films while i was there uh, working on a lot of people's films making a lot of good friends like there's a few things i would definitely do different with the knowledge i have now than versus i had then if i went in um but that was a really incredible experience being there i wish it was longer that was one of the it was the opposite like i was like okay it's just gonna be here i'll get through it But it was one of those things. I do wish it was longer. I do wish it was like a year or two years because I loved being around people who were like as into this stuff as I was. I felt like that was the first time, like when I was at Trevis, I really felt like only like Jerome, who you know, is another director, was like as locked in as I was and as into Mm -hmm. it as I was. Whereas when I went to Sheridan, I felt like most people.
0: Everybody at Sheridan was hard Locked in, and like, but also
1: really into movies. Oh, yeah. Like more than just a cursory level, and that was my first time truly being surrounded by, by, by like-minded people, and that, and that's the kind of the best. I think one of the best parts of film school is that like, you just get to hang out with people like you
0: all the time. Oh, it's the best! It's
1: the best, and I loved it. I, I, yeah. I, I really wish it was more than a year. And I, now, from what I understand, that program is longer. Um, but then coming out of it, you know what I mean? I had like really nothing set to do. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, well, quick, quick, quickly talk about the two short films you made in, in film school. Uh, did those go on to do anything? Uh, no. What the, was the you, result of those? See, so that's the thing. Like,
1: this is where kind of things kind of set back for me a
0: little bit. Um, you
1: know, and I, I did make a couple of mistakes, to be honest. Um, like, um, the films I made before film school did much better for me than the films mm. I did in film school. And the films I made in film school had more resources, more, like, polish to them, Uh but they didn't do as well as the ones I did before. Um, Part of it's, you know, mistakes I made um, with the type of stories I was working on. And also like, um, you know, the first film I made there, I don't know if you remember, I had to ADR the entire movie.
0: Yeah. I I remember you made the figure skating one, which you were the director, but not the writer. Yeah. I didn't write or produce that one what was the other one though? I forget the other called one. called Just
1: One of Those Things and it was a romantic comedy.
0: Oh yes, yes, I do remember that. I do remember that, yeah, yeah.
1: And it yeah. was good, like it, it was one of the movies selected to play at like their showcase and stuff like that, but like I made a couple big mistakes. One was I shot in HD, I should have shot on 35. Um, HD cameras, and again, I didn't know this then, but like those- None of us did, man. The cameras weren't ready yet. You know what I mean? The HD cameras, like, unless you're George Lucas, you know what I mean? Or you have that kind of money. Those cameras really weren't ready. I should have just shot on 35. I should have gotten more money somehow. I didn't have the money, but I should have gotten more money shot on 35. Um, and like, uh, because we shot in HD, we the you know, we're students, the person who recorded sound didn't double record it. They just recorded it to the camera. And there was an issue with the sound. So I had to ADR the whole thing. So even though the guy did a killer job making that up and the ADR like is really good, when you watch it, something feels off and that's what's off. Um, and in retrospect, I, I mean, again, kid feeling pressure, don't have a lot of money. I should have either reshot it, um, or just shot on 35 to begin with. Right. And the figure skating one I thought came out really well. I thought it was really good, but, um, like I didn't have any ownership of the film and I, I don't know if the producer pushed it at all beyond that. So I, I, I don't know, I have no clue what happened <laughs> after that. I have a copy of it and that's it. So like, to be honest, the films I did there didn't do anything for mm-hmm. me. Like mm-hmm. I, I did, I never even really showed them to anybody after that, you know, cause I liked the other ones I'd even done better. Um, and so when I came out of Sheridan, I was like a bit in the wilderness, to be honest. Um, there was one thing though, um, comedy network was interested in an idea that a friend of mine had through another friend. And like, so we started actually having meetings with them and developing these ideas. And this, you know, production company heard about it and they started bringing, like wanted to get on board. And so like me and a buddy spent like, I would say maybe a year and a half, two years, like working on it. And unfortunately it didn't go anywhere. You know what I mean? But I had like, you know, out of arrogance, like we put all this effort into it and like so much energy into it. And it didn't end up landing, unfortunately, it just wasn't you know, for a variety of reasons, it didn't work. Um, so all of a sudden I turn around, I'm like 25. And like, I'm still really not serious at this point. You know, I'm not really taking life very
0: 25 long. is a big number though. When you hit that, you you kind of have to look at yourself and be like, where am I at right now? Yeah, you know? absolutely. It's like... Absolutely.
1: And um and I and I really kind of had to take stock of things. And, you know, I wasn't shooting as much at that point anymore. It's weird. I felt like I'd slowed down in shooting things. Now, keep in mind, it was still wasn't as easy to just shoot things as it is now very difficult i mean the iphone wasn't out you can just shoot on your phones no
0: it's people don't know it's so cheap now back then it was so expensive everything was expensive editing was expensive but yeah go ahead
1: it was tough but there was that p2 camera started to come out i don't know if you remember that it was the first mini dv camera with that was 24p
0: oh the dvx 100 or uh, yeah i think that was it yeah and i remember
1: seeing footage of that online and being like whoa okay like this may be for real now we can do some stuff that seems okay. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, and anyway, so I'm 25 and I'm like, okay, I gotta like I gotta get serious now. Like I gotta um, I was getting married the next year, which I knew was gonna so that also adds a whole layer of of seriousness. Um, and uh, I thought to myself, okay, how am I gonna make a living? you know what am I going to do like I I need to actually start like because I by this time like I I was still volunteering doing things like that but I was like still just working as a waiter Mm -hmm. which and you know make good money too at the time like I worked in very busy places and made my I was like I wasn't stressed about it but like I was like okay I can't do this forever I don't want to do this forever Um, what am I going to do so I did two things one a friend of mine a mutual friend of ours Muzafar who was working at a tv station as an editor said they were looking for uh, other editors and if I was interested in doing it, even though I didn't really study editing, I had done so much editing on my own before even going to school. I had a good foundation of how to how to edit. And he's like, do you want to just come in and talk to them? And I was like, yeah, man, I'll do it. And so I actually was Muzaffar and another friend of ours, Lucius, they both worked there. So they, they were well-liked. So they brought me in, they vouched for me and uh, I got hired. And I, so I started working part-time as an editor at global television. And the reason I wanted to do that was like, I was just like, I need to stop. I need to like, just work in the business (laughs) in some way. I just need to like, I got to change my mindset of like, you know, oh, I'll just make money on the side and dabble until things work. I'm like, no, I need to actually start like legitimately working in the business. Mm -hmm. And I learned very quickly once I was there is that like, you know, when you work at a TV station as an editor, that doesn't count. (laughs) <laughs> as like a certain part of the business and you you learn that as you get older that like every aspect of the business is like its own thing like they don't count like if you work in commercials like the tv feature people don't count it you know what i mean right, or like right. the, and then vice versa like if in commercials like agency people don't really care if you've made like great movies unless you're spielberg or like david fincher or something like that right but they don't care you know right. like it, so it, it works all the way around in every element like um it's it's not unique to just to, the feature side of things but um but i wanted to work in the business and so it got me at least working in the business and at the same time I, but i learned very quickly i'm like but if i want to direct i got to direct and like i gotta like i gotta like keep developing those muscles and um, I had met someone who, like, worked as a commercial director. There's not, We weren't close or anything, but he, he was telling me about, like, you know, how he makes a living, how he's learning, doing things, how, it's, how it is a way as a director you can make. He's, he told me he was upfront. front. He's like, it's extremely competitive. It's not easy. And also this was the music video heyday as well, right? So this is when, like, those, like, Um, Mark Romanek, uh, Spike Jones, Michelle Gondry box sets were coming out and like, so even though in Canada, no one really made money directing music videos, but like these other ways of directing were becoming more common knowledge to people. And a person I went to high school with worked as a head of sales at, um, at a, at a very large commercial production company in Toronto.
0: Which one do you remember? one?
1: Uh, I believe it was steam, which is still steam Steam. is
0: big. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think they're a part of the Radke group and um, I think it was, Steam. this was a while back. Um, And uh, I mean, we weren't close to anything, but we knew each other. And like, she, she, she had seen some of my film work and like had won some awards and she was like, wow, this is amazing. And I was like, well, how do you get into commercials? And and so she basically told me, she's like, so what you need to do um, is you need to make what's called specs, make fake commercials, basically go and make, three fake commercials that can show what you can do and start taking them around production companies um so that's what I did <laughs> so I went and I like uh, I it took me I don't know maybe half a year in that zone maybe eight months to a year but like it in that time I committed to doing that um all of them shot on mini dv on either the the hvx or the dvx you know the ones mm-hmm. that could shoot 24p which again it was a massive difference you know, talked all my friends into helping me do it because um, I wasn't rich by any uh, means.
0: I helped. I helped a
1: lot. Yep, you did. Absolutely, man. And so we just went. I made these specs, um, cut them, put them together with my friends. Again, all friends, like very always been community oriented, man. All this like helping each other out. And uh, so I started shopping at cold calls. I had no real like, even though I knew that, that 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 woman who helped me out with the advice, she was like, we're not taking on any young people.
0: That's what they always say. They never (laughs) do.
1: But I started shopping my stuff around to different companies, just cold calling. No, no, no connect. So like, I think I reached out to, I mean, 15 production companies and I heard back from, it's been a while, but it was four. I only heard back from four of them. Uh, which was better than I expected to be honest. Uh, and so That's I, pretty good, actually. You got four responses. It like was that. good, you know, but yeah. like one of them was just a like, hey, let's talk. Like they weren't actually serious about it, but they were just, it was a, it was a very good person. I still, I still remember the guy. He still owns a different company now, um, but he was very nice and helpful. And he actually like, it was pretty amazing that he took time to talk to me and um, give me some like really good advice. Um, but there was a couple others that were actually interested in bringing me on and developing me. Uh, And one of them was uh, a company where it was two women who worked at other bigger production companies before and went out and started their own. And so it was really good timing for me because they had an agreement where they weren't gonna try and take a lot of other Canadian directors from people for like a year or something. So their whole roster was essentially just like people from Europe and the US. So they didn't really have any Canadians for a certain tier job so they were so their approach was they were going to develop young Canadians um so I came along I reached out at essentially and timing in life is a big thing right timing and being ready um I reached out at the perfect time and they were like yes come on let's do this so the moment I got signed to them and they were like they weren't one of the big again they were a newer company but they were a legitimate CPAT commercial production company. And then the moment that happened for me, even though I didn't start working for a long time, it just, it changed like it changed the vibe with me a little bit more. (laughs) The moment you're like rep by a proper company, you know, like just other people in the periphery kind of treat you a little bit different. Mm
0: -hmm. You got rep, you're rep now. You're legitimate, you know? It's like but like I equate it to this. Like
1: I I tell people all the time, like getting getting signed is like is like trying to get into a club. You know what I mean? That's like not one of the non lineup clubs. You know how there's clubs out there that it's selection. They yeah. only like basically look at the people and they're like, okay, you can come in, you can come in, you can come yeah. in. Right. So that's what getting assigned is like. And then actually working is like, be, you're now inside that club and it's super busy and you can't get the bartender to notice you. Mm. So that's what that, and that's, so that's the, so you're now in the club, right? And then getting the bartender to notice you finally like struggling is like getting that first job and then getting into the VIP section is like getting to be like, you're working, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's never, so it's not like you get into that. club. it's not like everything's perfect. All of a sudden, you still got to do this. You got to go get the drink. You got to get into that area. Like it's, it, it, it never stops. Like that's just step one of the journey of actually developing a career and getting better mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I got signed, and then it took a while for me to to actually start working because they wanted to do a couple new specs that they were involved with, um, and it took a while to get those scripts ready, get them shot, and then um, by the time I got those, I actually started working almost immediately. Not huge jobs, but I got a couple jobs almost right away, and it was great. It was a huge learning process because like working, it was my first time working. With a big client, with a big ad agency. Uh, Do
0: do you remember the job? Do you remember the client or the product? Yes,
1: it it was for Crunch. Nestle was the client, Mm -hmm. and it was for you remember the blue freezers? They might still exist. The blue freezers in convenience stores, where they have all.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All the frozen, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: It was for that. It was for Nestle. It was like their blue freezer thing, and it was a blue freezer ad. It was like an ad. It was like literally a freezer trying to hide in a closet.
0: Okay. Do do you remember why they picked you? Because you you were inexperienced at the time. What do you remember the process or like Well, I still had I like to pitch. I, I don't know, maybe it had to do with the budget mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so
1: it was like they were just like looking at young people. Um I remember I didn't get paid very much, but
0: okay. it
1: was, but it was still a lot of a lot of money to me at the time. You know what I mean? Like the check was big to me. Um, but it, relative to like, you know, like what a regular working director gets, peanuts. Right. Um, but I was so new, I didn't know the fucking difference. Right. I was like, oh, this is amazing.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, that, that's one of those steps, like in your career, it's, it's, you're working with a brand, you're working with an agency. It's a legitimate thing. You know, it's, that's a very significant step, even if it might've not been the, the highest budget, it still means a lot. Absolutely. And, um,
1: uh, but I still had to pitch on it too, right? So like, that's a big part of, of commercial directing is-
0: Oh, we'll get into that. We'll get into that for sure. Yeah,
1: so I, I had to pitch on it and I I just think they really liked my approach. Like I I remember thinking my approach, like I liked my approach. Like my whole approach was like around like making this freezer into a character and like, and, you know, like, which is pure cinema to me, right? When you take an inanimate object and like make it a character, like- Yeah. I think that's one of like the greatest tools of cinema. And I rem- I remember that exactly. I remember taking that approach- in the pitch and pitching it that way and I, I I could even tell in the moment when I pitched it like it was it resonated well when I did that because um, the boards were very straightforward I I do remember that specifically the boards being kind of like eh. so I was just trying to find some way to like give it something um, and yeah it was great but it was great though like it was my first time building a set like we built the whole set like we you know was working with like you know like all top tier people man it was, it was incredible it was my first time doing that and i loved it i remember walking on the set and like uh i remember they thought i was a pa
0: <laughs> stuff like that
1: <laughs> like walking into the into the studio and stuff like that no joke they thought i was a pa and it was like pretty hilarious until yeah then the line producer was like okay charles come over here and then that's when people were like oh shit fuck. <laughs> like, you know so it's was, it was pretty funny in that way and uh and yeah and then unfortunately not long after that was when there was that big, uh, economic crisis in, uh, 2008. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so like, I remember all of a sudden pitching on jobs against the really big American
0: directors. So like, Oh, do you remember any names? Do you remember any names?
1: I don't remember them perfectly, but they were like, okay. I remember all of a sudden pitching on these projects where it would be like me and like other Canadian directors. And then all of a sudden it's like these like really like kind of like really well established, like like American directors because like, um, they needed they were all of a sudden taking work so like people who were like new like me and developing and like you know relying on these projects to develop and stuff like that um they didn't uh they 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 weren't they were now taking those jobs so it's like weird like my whole generation like most of us got like a big delay because of that Mm -hmm. because of that crisis um so like it really slowed things down for me quite a bit um and so like because of that i ended up just directing a lot more focus into trying to try and make a film you know what i mean because like at, at the same time like I, i'd never lost that side of things like the narrative side of things like i, I knew i wanted to make films and, and and do things like that too so um you know i'd gotten some development money from telefilm uh for writing a feature that i was developing uh and then at the same time, I started working on another script for what ended up becoming Web Doltery, which is something we could do, like Robert Rodriguez style for like, you know, like I think we made it for 25, $30,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so once things slowed down there, like uh, so our mutual friend Muzfar and I, like we kind of committed to like making Doltery because Bad Paper wasn't getting the traction we were hoping for at the time.
0: Yeah, so Bad Paper is another script you were developing.
1: And... Yeah, so that's the script we yeah. had gotten money. We had gotten money from uh, Telefilm and Harold
0: mm-hmm. Greenberg. Mm-hmm. at the time and uh and i spent a lot of time on that script yeah sorry these are two government or charitable uh funds where people can pitch ideas and get funding for them harold greenberg and telefilm So yeah.
1: harold greenberg doesn't exist
0: anymore i don't think
1: but uh telefilm still very much does like that's the primary source of feature film funding in
0: Canada. that's the government funding yeah
1: yeah they are the primary source like i I saw the list of like the big budget funding this year, and I think Cronenberg was on there. <laughs> like,
0: I think uh, which which one, the younger or older? No, the older, David Cronenberg. Like, oh,
1: David Cronenberg. Okay, right. I think he still gets money from Telefilm. Oh, <laughs> like...
0: dude, I've there, there's been people. Seth Rogan has gotten money. Um, yeah. Yeah. Guys in Hollywood, you know, it, yeah, they'll definitely take advantage of it.
1: Oh yeah, no, um, like he was on there. Who else? There was like another like really big name. I can't remember. But anyway, mm-hmm. it, David Cronenberg was on there. So, so yeah, that's who Telefilm is. Um, but but that script I was working on at the time by paper, it just unfortunately wasn't, you know, for a variety of very strange reasons. Those are side stories I can tell you later that are pretty mm-hmm. funny, but um, it wasn't moving. So Muzaffar and I, we were like, man, we really want to make a feature and we can do this. Um, so we've written Webdultry and Webdultry was small enough that it could be made like with very little we just committed to doing it we basically we set up a business um like a proper business like we you know we, we went to lawyers got it got it incorporated and everything and we set it set up an investment structure with people uh, where we told people like hey if you like if, if you invest in the movie you know what i mean like we'll any like basically any money that comes back into the movie when it's made, like um, we'll redistribute it back out to you, like based on the percentage that you put in, like in terms Mm -hmm. of, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not the best at explaining this, but like we set up like a proper, very fair structure with people like to invest. So we basically went to almost everyone we knew and we're like, Hey, would you be willing to give us a little money? And we were upfront with people. We're like, only invest what you're comfortable never getting back because there's a high chance you'll never get any money back.
0: That's a great pitch. That's a really great pitch.
1: We were up, man, because we were going kind to of friends and family.
0: Yeah, I know. No, but it's great you're honest like that because that's true. Yeah. And uh,
1: and uh, and so, man, son, tons of people gave us money. It was incredible. Like so many friends and family. Like, but no one gave us like a shitload of money. You know what I mean? Like everyone gave us all manageable amounts. So that's why I, never, I wasn't like feeling like people's livelihoods were on the hook. But like a lot of people invested and donated um quite a bit and uh and for people who we couldn't pay like full rates like for example once we got to post we had like no money left for post like so we told people like rather than paying you we'll treat what we would pay you as like a cash investment in Mm -hmm. the film so they actually all ended up getting money back Mm -hmm. i don't think they got all the money but they ended up getting money back that way um and yeah, we made the movie, man. And uh, it was uh, like, you know, we made it like, you know, through the actors union and everything. And uh, and it was, you know, one of the best experiences of my life, to be honest with you. Like, I loved it. Like, I mean, the movie now, I, I can barely look at the movie now because I'm a totally different person, you know, much more experienced director, too. But um, we got the movie made around that time, like when things had kind of slowed down a little on the commercial side of things. So we made the film, got it, got it out there. Um, we sold it even, which is great. Like the movie actually made more money than it cost.
0: Do you remember how much you sold it for?
1: Um, We sold it for the initial sale because it still to this day, gets money trickling in like very small amounts. It basically pays its taxes now. It's the money that comes in for, although I don't know, I have to check on the movie. That may have stopped as of this year. This year may have been the year where it finally stopped covering it because it's been a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think... I'd have to double check. I think we sold it for like, uh, it wasn't a lot. It was like, I think around like 20 in that zone.
0: Oh, did you say the budget was 25?
1: Yeah, it was about 25, 30. But th- th- so this is where I'm saying the the movie made, we didn't get the money, but the movie itself made, like the distributors made more. Oh, okay. It was right. So that was one of those learning experiences too. Like in retrospect, um, we should have sold it in Canada ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Because so having, you had you had some kind of sales agent selling it for you. We did. We had we okay. had a
1: sales rep. We have a distributor in Canada who, who paid us. You know, and they gave us money. Like so, it was good. So we were actually able to pay people back. So a mm-hmm. lot of people got paid. We just didn't get all the money back because of it. You know what I'm saying?
0: Like over okay, time. So, we, so they paid you for the they paid you for the the rights to sell it, and then they parlayed those rights yes. and sold it for more. I guess they they middlemen. Of course. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, Cause they had all these direct connections. And like the movie ended up like in Canada everywhere, like it was everywhere. Um, and then we got a different sales agent for the U S. So it was out in the U S uh, and it played in like a bunch of countries internationally too. Like, I think it was like in Russia, Japan, Australia, um, all over, man. It was it, mm-hmm. it was good, man. Like I mean, it was on Netflix for stretches too, which was super cool. Okay. Um, and then it's just you know, again, me and Musafar not really knowing much about the business of it, right? Like you know, it's it took us a long time to track all the money back down, get it back, get it fairly um because that stuff is a other set of skills to do that on its own and so
0: yeah
1: um i'd have to check with him to be the total but like yeah there's been money coming in from it for a long time but like i don't it it, had we sold it ourselves because that was actually our initial goal was to make it for that amount because we knew we could probably sell it in canada ourselves even to just a pay tv network and get all the money back but we got like lured by the Oh, we'll get it here for you. We'll get it here for you. Get it here. for, you. And, and they did, they didn't get it everywhere for us, but like it actually ended up resulting in a little less money, but either way, like it, it, there was no issues money-wise with that movie, which is a good thing. You know what I mean? No one, yeah. we were never like, Oh shit, we're poor because <coughs> it was like that. That didn't happen, which is great. Um, but a, a, after that film happened uh, you know what I mean? It did lead to some potential other opportunities with other movies um, but unfortunately it just didn't parlay for a variety of like life reasons between myself, Muzaffar, and a couple other people that we were involved with in some projects. Um, and then the commercial stuff started to get busy again. And I started to get a lot more busy on that side of things.
0: Did did the did the feature film affect your commercial as status as a commercial director or to give you more cachet, perhaps?
1: not I don't know that's something I it's hard for me to say like I do know like I do remember like for example when the movie came out in Toronto like there being posters for it out and around and like actually being in the middle of a pitch in a job and a person being like oh hey man I saw your like poster for your movie like on my way into the office this week and stuff and like you know I did a little bit of press like you know I was on like a remember being on global news the national global news I remember that yeah and entertainment tonight Canada like did a little thing on us and like so like Mm -hmm. That, like obviously, it helps like with your name being around like you're 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 seen as like uh you know, you know how it is when third parties discuss you, you, you know what I mean like it now, now you're somebody, yeah, it helps like it definitely yeah. helps, but it it's not like it it was like a golden ticket kind of moment mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, like the grinding
0: has never stopped. I still do it on a constant basis. um yeah, I can confirm that he, he Charles grinds all the time <laughs> you, you have to yeah you, you have to. hardest working guy I know basically yeah you, you never you can't ever really stop. But, um, but,
1: uh, I don't know I uh, with the film, how it impacted the commercial side of things. I don't know. I, that's something I don't really know. I, I don't think it hurt it. Like, I think it helped, but like how much it helped. I, I, it's hard to say. Um, but I definitely started working quite a bit more around that time. Um, mm-hmm. and then, um, I'm trying to take, so sorry, man, I've got a little lost, but then, then I had my first kid, um, and that's when it was like a real kind of gut check time for me um, because I was.
0: Now like, you have to, now you have to make it at that point. Like you have to go. Yeah. I need to provide, yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, like, you know, and I was just like, oh, and also it's just
1: like, I wanted to be a part of my son's life. I wanted to be a part of, I didn't want to be one of those fathers that's never around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have one of those jobs, unfortunately, that can lead to that happening a lot for a lot of stretches. So, but especially for the development, Um, early on I made the conscious choice to put as much time as I could into being there with him and like you know still being responsible and like you know trying to make a living for for myself and the family um, that I actually kind of made a conscious choice I really stepped away from like pushing the narrative side of things uh, Mm -hmm. in my life like I, I stopped actively really developing any films or anything like that. And I just, um, you know, as you know, I ended up actually even moving to Halifax. Uh, yep. and I started working, uh, actually more when I moved to Halifax, um, just, you know, we'll, being well,
0: well talk about that a little bit. Talk about the difference between the Toronto, um, commercial industry and the East coast commercial industry and why you made that move and how that move affected your career.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, my wife and I wanted to leave Toronto, um, just because we wanted to experience something different you know we had had a kid and we're getting older and we're like you know what i i I lived in toronto almost honestly almost my whole life like uh we moved to canada my family moved to canada when i was two um and then i think like i lived in england when i was like 19 like i said for a stretch but otherwise, I was just everything was Toronto. My whole life was Toronto. Like all I really knew, I traveled a bunch and been to a lot of places, but I'd only really lived in Toronto and lived in England for a brief stretch and the baby time before we came to Canada. I don't count. Uh,
0: yeah, well, in Toronto, there's a saying in Toronto called Toronto Mans. Charles was a Toronto Mans. That's uh you were definitely that was your identity. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. and and so Maggie and I is just for like. Forget career, just, like, life experience. Like, we wanted to just experience living somewhere else. And Maggie being American, like, we actually... Because I had a green card for a stretch, too. And, like, because we did do some time living in the States as well, like, back and forth. But, like, just, like, in Youngstown, New York. So, it was, like, very... You know, it's an hour and a half from Toronto, right? So, we would go back and forth. Um, So, I never really felt like I left Toronto because I was still working in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like... uh, and, And I still do to an extent. But, like, I... We just wanted to really live somewhere. So we actually entertained moving to Los Angeles, New York, even Austin, uh, we were thinking about in other parts of Canada, Montreal, um, Vancouver, Halifax, uh, and then all, uh, but there was something about Halifax I always really liked and Maggie liked too. There was something appealing to me about being in a smaller city, again, not for career reasons, just more for for lifestyle reasons. I just wanted to experience it. And, and there was something I always just loved about Atlantic Canada that I just felt really at home in Atlantic Canada. And I had done a couple of jobs in Halifax through a production company. It was called Egg Films at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I started to start, like establishing a relationship with Egg Films and they were the largest commercial production company in Atlantic Canada and they're very busy. And, uh, the owner basically was always trying to, um, encourage me to come work with him more and come down and, uh, and, and, you know, when it was time for me to move, I, I you know, I talked to him. And I was like, hey, man, like I'm thinking of moving. I'm looking at some options. And he said, like, well, here, come here work with us. Like he'd be busy all the time. And I was like, all right, I'm I'm, I'm down. But like, as long as, you know, I can maintain my representation in other markets and things like that. And he's like, yeah, man, for sure. And so that's what I did. And I came down. And uh, and so how it works is, you know, I, I would do the jobs in the East Coast of Canada. But then when I would have an opportunity through, uh, you know, my reps at a Toronto, I would uh, just leave. I would just leave and and, and go do those jobs and um if i had an international project same thing i would just like you know if i did a job in china i remember not long after i started working there and i was there for a month (laughs) you know i left for a month and i was in china for yeah a month basically like three and a half weeks four weeks um and that's how how it works but that's for like honestly most commercial directors that's how like a lot of commercial directors are able to to work more is by working in different markets right it's very challenging just to rely on work on one market.
0: Well, just break down how the commercial directing industry kind of works as far as representation goes, territory representation goes. Uh, j- just kind of like break down the industry a little bit. How, the, how you kind of did there, there, but just a little
1: bit sure. Later. So, so I mean, to get work uh, as a commercial director, typically, and it di- and it's different in different parts of the world. So, like different parts of the world have different ways about it, right? Like, so, for example, there's certain parts of the world where. Uh, and there's certain different tiers of jobs too right but in certain parts of the world um, like production companies will go to like director agents and like get the agents to like submit directors that they represent to the company and then that company will submit to agents and in other parts of the world it's uh, like in Canada for example it's like you're repped by a production company and that production company is who's engaged by the agency and then they'll submit from their roster of directors, who's available and they think would be a good fit, and then the advertising agency will shortlist the people they're interested in speaking to, and then those shortlisted directors will then speak with the agency, get briefed by them, and then they will then get the opportunity to pitch how they would do the commercial.
0: So, so what, so what, what do you get um, uh, to to create a pitch? What's what's the document you get that you see, and then you create your pitch from that from from the agency?
1: It's it, I mean, it's a it's a it, it's. I mean, it's kind of different a lot of times, like, uh, but it's typically like a, a creative briefing document, right? Like, so it'd be some like I've back in the day, I've I've literally seen just like a Word document <laughs> describing like what the idea is, or I've seen like you know, like I've also seen thirty-page decks that are like crazy detail of like this is like of, like, and th- these are all documents they've used to like present to their client, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also seen full on animatics as well. Right. Where, oh, wow. like, I didn't even, I didn't even get a script or anything. They literally would just send me like a QuickTime file and it's like, I get that animatic and then I talk to them about it. And then like, eventually I get the paperwork too, but it's mm-hmm. been across the board, but typically it's like a, it's a, it's like a briefing
0: document. Is, is there a script or is it just the, what's in the briefing document? Is there actual dialogue and things like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but like it it depends on like how the person puts it together, but like often there's a description of the idea, the why of the idea, what they're going for with the idea, and then a script as well. And sometimes Mm -hmm. there's storyboards with the scripts too. Um, You know, the better better, uh, ones are the ones where you can tell like they put a really big effort into making their idea as clear to interpret as possible for their client. Mm -hmm. um that's that's the goal with these right because you know you know how it is if you read literally or just read a script we all in our own minds visualize it in a different way and interpret it a different way so the best documents that to to convey an idea are ones that have like visuals to support them right Mm -hmm. like anything you can do to make it your idea more clear to someone else so they can interpret it the way you're trying to get it to come across the better whether that's through drawing storyboards taking photos as reference taking making photo boards out of them or um, a reference well, video
0: talk about your process how do you take the 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 um the brief or or the boards whatever they give you what is what is the material you send back because you're supposed to send boards back uh, is that is that right
1: no. So how it works is so once I'm briefed, typically, again, like I would say most of the time, there are some unique situations where that's not the case, but like mm-hmm. most of the time. So once I'm briefed on a project, then I need to take that away and I need to write a treatment and pitch that treatment.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Is that one page, two pages?
1: It's, it's honestly, almost never a page. Every now and then, like on certain projects that it's like a rush, you'll hear people say, oh, don't worry about writing the big treatment. Just like write a page. And it's fine. Don't do and that. that no, and it and never works yeah. out. Don't do never. that. Never. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, there are some directors who can do that. And I and I hear of that kind of thing happening. Um, but that's the people like those are the that's a very few and far between. Those are like the like the really they're the people that like they reach out and ask for specifically, typically, right? Like the like you know, okay. the more celebrity director kind of people almost. Um, but typically, you know, you do need to write. And some directors who are super busy. Um, won't even write their own treatments, they'll hire other people to write the treatments. Um, which is fine too, right? You know, it's usually with their input, they just might not be the strongest at writing it. Look at all is fine, right? Like, you got to mm-hmm. do what's best for you again, however you can best clearly convey your idea, do it right. Um, I okay. write I like to write my own, um, uh, just because I, I it's also a way for me to work out the spot in mm-hmm. a way, me actually writing it out. Um, but I don't do the layouts myself. Like we hire, because I'm not the best at graphic design and things like that. So like was, we we use people help me pull images and like do the layouts and stuff like that.
0: So so so, so the layouts are not storyboards, but more of a is it a mood board? we we'll talk about the layouts. A little yeah, it'd it yeah. be
1: it'd be like a mix between like a mood board and uh, and like a yeah, I guess it is essentially a mood board. Sorry, yeah. So it's like you know you have your images, you have your and then you have you sorry you have your text. And you have your images to be like visual examples of like what you're talking about, right? Like uh, you in that mood to like show that theme. So for example, if you're talking about like a cinematic style, that's like pretty specific, you should have images to support that, right? Because like a, a, you have to remember, sometimes you're pitching to people who aren't like experts in the field of cinematography necessarily, or like certain styles, or they may have never heard of certain things, right? So like it's good to present things that are examples of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um so sometimes I'll put photos sometimes I'll even put video as well so like there's like you know I'll have like like you know running video in the documents as well that like you know to really help set the mood Mm -hmm. um and dude anything you can do sometimes I'll storyboard stuff as well like where it's just like I, I can't find any images to like really get across what I'm trying to do and I'll draw something to do it and that that's the most clear way or sometimes I'll even go shoot stuff like I'll, if I there's something I want to try, I'll just get, pick up either like a DSLR, my phone even, and go shoot and cut a couple things together just to give a sense of how certain things might work, right? It's basically, you got to do whatever you can do to, again, clearly sell through your idea. That's what it's about. It's about A, getting people like excited about your idea, getting you on the same, getting them on the same page and clearly conveying it. And that's really all you can do. Because like literally everyone, like once you get to a certain point that you're like, a rep director and you're pitching against other rep directors, like anywhere in the world, like everyone's good. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like anyone's bad. Like everyone's very good. There's tons of great directors out there. Yeah. Um, so like all you can do is just put forth your best idea and like, you got to hope like you <laughs> it's simpatico to what they're
0: going for. I, I mean, I'm fascinated by the world of commercial directing because it's this entire industry of directors, filmmakers that most people don't know about it, but they're, it's an enormous industry and they're incredibly talented. But people really just—they're not household. They're, they're famous within the industry, but not really outside of the industry. So it, it's always been interesting for me. Um, but um, so and most ta-
1: commercials are really good. Most a lot of like working commercial directors are very strong directors, though, because they do it a lot.
0: A lot of reps. Like that's it. It's a lot of reps. Yeah. The whole, you know, it's
1: the ten thousand hours thing, right? Like you're on yeah. it a lot, like. So like a lot of, it's like a good TV director, right. Who directs a lot of TV. It's the reps. Like you, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you, there's just a comfort of being on set. Like, cause, cause you do it all the time and you're yeah. used to talking to people. You're used to communicating with people. Like that's a big thing that like I've developed over time is just an ease of like literally collaborating with other people. Cause most of the work I do is stuff I don't write or originate. Right. Right. So that's why when I do like work on like a personal short film or something, like it's it's a whole different experience for me because like, I'm not like, okay, what did you think of that? Or hey, you want to talk about this, right? Like it's it's more yeah. like just like with with the crew and stuff and the actors. That's where the the collaboration happens. Um we'll, we'll but- talk
0: about uh, talk about the client agency director relationship when you're on set. Talk about kind of how things go and and like um the sign offs involved. Yeah. Yeah
1: so when you when you okay the moment you get the gig of making a commercial um it's not like it, it it's it's not like you just like go right like and you like can just go off on your own and you make it and it back to them like the agency and the client are involved every step of the way um and rightfully so it's their money it's their idea and they mm-hmm. and, and it's their brand right so it, it, when you put uh, when a company puts anything out into the world whether it's a commercial a billboard of like a tiktok video anything it's a reflection of their brand. So they, they want to be very on top of that and make sure it's a good reflection of their brand and how they want their brand reflected. So they're not just going to like let some person go and do whatever. Right. So um, literally every step of the way um, you have to be in communication with the agency. Uh, and if it's a direct the client project, which there's a lot of those too, you got to be in, in communication with the client. So there's no surprises because um, the worst thing is to show up on set and just be like, "Whoa, we never saw this. We don't like this. Like, why are you doing this? Right? Like what makes for a smooth and efficient process is to get every, everyone on the same page at every step. So there's just no surprises. It just makes for a smooth working experience.
0: And that includes casting locations costuming everything basically has to be signed yeah, up so that the,
1: every every single thing in the spot needs to be approved by the client the client mm-hmm. needs to say yes or no at the mm-hmm. end um because you you just again you don't want at some point them to down the line to be like oh we never saw this we don't like this like that can derail the whole process right mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, literally every step of the way you got to get approval. So like you know, like so once you start casting, you you know they they don't want to see all the auditions. You know what I mean? So like they trust our like you know our taste, the the filmmakers' taste, and the agency's taste to whittle it down to who we think is best, and then we'll show them the selects and then they'll make the choice based on that. And same with locations. Like, so I don't show the agency, every location I go see, you know, cause that would just be overwhelming and a waste of time. Right. Like they trust the taste. Right. So I'll like shortlist a bunch of locations, or if it's a building a set, a set design, a layout, how we like. And like, you know, once I get it to a point, I like it, then I'll kick it up the chain. And then, you know, you get sign off before moving forward. And then same with wardrobe and the storyboards, everything. So you, before we shoot, like literally, we we uh, we do a thing. It's called a pre pre-produc- production pre production meeting. And in some jobs, some bigger jobs, there's actually multiple pre production meetings as we go through. So like you know things are being checked on at every step. But um, uh, typically, before a shoot starts, you have the big pre production meeting, and you literally run through every detail of the sh- of, of of the commercial. So you're you're going through. Um, the storyboard. So, like, I'll have done either storyboards or a shot list or photo boards of some kind, and I'll lay, I'll run through all of that with them, make sure they're happy with how I've decided to lay it out, and then you go through the cast, you confirm the cast, but they'll have been chosen, but you double check and make sure everyone rem- remembers. You look at all your your um, art art, um, sorry, production design options, things like that. Have those discussions, make sure everyone's on the same page about how you're going to be dressing the sets things like that then you'll usually actually do a wardrobe session after that too so you'll go through all the wardrobe together make sure everyone's happy with that and then so that way by the time you shoot it really is just a matter of showing up and doing it Mm -hmm. um and like what can slow things down from there is just the performances in a lot of cases right because when you're on set you know if it's a larger job with a a larger agency and client you'll sometimes have like 10 people behind you. You know what I mean? There'll be like five people from the agency, five people from the client. I've seen more than that. I've seen less than that. It's different from project to project. But you got to remember. Yeah,
0: h- half of those guys are there for the food though, the craft service. Let's be honest.
1: <laughs> hey, everyone's got a role to play. Right. So yeah.
0: I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying that, but um, I'll say it. Why not?
1: <laughs> but you, you got to look at it this way, right? When you're looking at the monitor, it's kind of like what we talked about a bit before. Everyone sees the script in their head. A certain way right so when you're directing a scene and you see a performance i might like a performance but like one of those nine people might be like oh that's not how i envisioned it or, and quite often there's like four people that'll be like oh i didn't envision it that way right oh really and then, yeah so that's like not in a negative way it's just again like we all have our own perceptions of certain mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. um and and that's what can kind of slow down the process in some situations is like just can we try a version like this? 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 Because like everyone sees it a different way and, and, you know, everyone wants to be a little safe and cover themselves. So in post-production they can try a lot of different options because it, it, it is such a filtered process um, that that's kind of like we on set. That's where you start to see a lot of the differences, you know, like it's I actually warn a lot of like, like actors, if it's like their first time in a commercial to like, just be pre- prepared that like, really no matter how good they are, they're gonna have to do multiple takes. They're gonna have to do multiple options. They're gonna be told to try it different ways. And that like, it's it's normal. Like it's not, cause I've seen some actors like when I was early on starting, especially some inexperienced actors get really in their head about it. I started to think they were doing something wrong and they weren't doing anything wrong. It's just, people just wanted to see it different ways. Like that's it. Cause again, there's like 10 people watching and like 10 people. They're all like, Oh, let's try this. Let's try this. Like it, it can turn into that sometimes. And like this actor got so in her head and she, we lost her. Like oh, we lost yeah. her. Yeah. 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 It was, it was brutal. It's one of the, it was probably the worst experience I've ever had with an actor. I felt so bad for her. Yeah. Um, but she, I mean, but at the same time, she hadn't like the homework wasn't done. She wasn't, she didn't come in locked in ready uh too so it's a you know it was both sides on that one right but like the agency um wanted to see a lot from her and i don't Mm -hmm. think she had the experience and the confidence to get it because
0: her confidence just disappeared and she was doing a great job but she just wasn't ready for it um so so now you prep them ahead of time and say listen this is what you're in for it's not personal yep Yep. and so
1: they get it they know they know it you know what i mean like so because like i i know like i mean we can all be sensitive and get and uh and get self-conscious, right? So Mm -hmm. um, it's good to just warn people. I find that like, no matter what, you can be Daniel Day-Lewis. And they're gonna ask you, "Hey, can you try that with a bit more of a smile?" <laughs> it's, gonna, <laughs> it's, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. I guarantee it. Like, I'm gonna walk around the corner and say this to you. You know, it's gonna a happen. little less serious, Daniel. Can
0: we lighten it up a little bit? It's, yeah, it's, it's gonna
1: happen. No matter how good you are, they're gonna. oh, mm-hmm. uh, And then can we try one where you're like maybe like giggle first a little bit? Yeah. Like I'm telling you, dude. Like it gets it gets like that specific. Like it, it, no, I've I've seen
0: it. Yeah, I've seen
1: it. So so that's kind of the vibe. But but like um, but yeah, like I mean, typically like the the good shoots are, you know, when things are very well prepared ahead of time and everyone's on the same page. I find that always makes the smoothest, mm-hmm. the smoothest productions. And then in awesome. post-production, it's a, it's a whole different beast, right? Like that really depends on what market you're in. Um, like, well, how much are you involved in post-production? It's, it, it depends on the market, right? Like in some like international broad jobs, like I, I'm heavily involved until the online. And then like in, in like the States, for example, like not at all like not at all (laughs) you know and Mm -hmm. and in canada it's a little 50 50 like you know basically getting the first cut up but like once the first cuts up it's like it's not really yours anymore and are you involved in choosing the music or the editor uh in some some productions some i am some i'm not some the agency hires the uh, post-production side of things separately like they treat it literally as different aspects and they and they hire them all independently some they hire they want the production company to hire it all like it, it, it's different from project to project because budgets oh. are changing so much now mm-hmm. um, and the asks are changing so much now, too, so that 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 definitely does change from project to project.
0: How, how are budgets changing now you, you just mentioned
1: getting the people are asking for more with less.
0: Oh, really? Yep. So is, is that a gradual thing or is it just kind of a sudden thing now?
1: No, it's been happening for a while. It's, it's okay. definitely happening for a while. Um, it's not like they've completely disappeared, but there's definitely like a lot more now of the lower budget jobs um, where, you know, the asks are even higher, you know, like because now there's a lot of asks for like, um, you know, you don't just do your spots for like TV and internet. Before it used to be just TV, then it became TV and internet. And now it's TV, internet and social, Right. So you're doing mm-hmm. versions for a TV screen, a movie theater, a six second pre-roll YouTube ad, a Facebook version, and now Instagram stories version, TikTok version. So you're doing versions that are like, you know, the...
0: Aspect ratios are different.
1: Screening this. And it's, yeah. it's a lot, it's a lot, man. Like it, it really, it can really grind down the process, but mm-hmm. the, you know, there's a lot more, um, but you know, like anything, we just adapt, get used to it and just figure out ways to, to make it happen.
0: I've always been interested in how pay structure is in directing because you as far as i can tell you guys get paid per shoot day but you do way more than that is that correct yep yeah so so just explain how that goes um you, you every director has a daily rate for when you're actually shooting where the ca- cameras are actually rolling that's when you actually get paid for but that's how it's structured day. in a
1: budget yeah like so like yeah, in a budget yeah. like it'll be like it's basically we essentially just get a flat rate for the job that's what it hmm. is Mm-hmm.
0: um and uh oh so it's not daily anymore it's just flat
1: well that's how it's put in the budget right so like it oh, is okay. it, like we like directors do have a daily rate typically mm-hmm. right but like if let's say there's like a two-week job you know what i'm saying like it, that rate can get adjusted <laughs> you know oh, what i'm okay. saying like okay. you know what i mean like but like it's still like would be like a much better paying job than a one-day shoot for sure yeah but, like, certain things can get tiered but it is yes you get paid per production
0: day Typically. You get paid per production day, but you're actually working way more than that. You're you're working pre-production, you're working yep. post-production, you're yeah. pitching. So a lot of your work is outside of the technically your your daily rate is is it's kind of interesting how that works. That you're doing so much beyond those daily those days you get paid. Yep, yep, that's how it works.
1: That is how it works for us. Yeah. So like uh, you know, some jobs more than others, man, in terms of like the work you do around the shoot. But the but the work you do around the shoot is equally as important as on the day. Like it really is like a a lot of the choices you make before you get to the shoot day or, or what dictate what the the shoot's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like when we, I don't know if you remember, like one of the things that we were told at Sheridan uh, is very true early on. They told us they were like, you know, the filming of any of these things is actually the reward, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Everything around it is the work. Like the real work actually comes around the filming I find.
0: Yeah, well, actually, that's interesting because uh, you actually, your job is divided into two two aspects, which is doing the job and getting the job. Yep. Those are basically, and so how much do you think of your uh, of the work you do, how much of it is trying to get the job as opposed to doing the job, do you think, if you're going to split the pie?
1: I don't know, man. I'd have to, like, really break that down and think about it, but... Um... On, on on like an individual job, like, so let's say, like, I'll just try and think the last job I did that I pitched on, I would say maybe 10% was getting the job, 10, 15%. Oh, that's not
0: bad.
1: Yeah, yeah, maybe in that zone. Because uh, it was a lot of, dude, once you get it, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a lot, man. So uh, yeah. yeah, I would say like, if I break it down into days, I worked on that job. Yeah, maybe 10,
0: 15%. Okay. All right. How much of it do you think is uh, relationship-based? Like the work you do, how much do you think uh, of of the volume of work you do, how much do you think is uh, based on your relationships you've already had as opposed to new clients? It's huge.
1: It's huge, 100%. Relationships, like, but that's like man you know that like that's anything in life yeah like relationships yeah. are huge but,
0: but you especially because you're a supplier you have to pitch on every single job so it's like yeah. you're constantly well, selling there's,
1: there's there's some jobs i don't pitch on you know what i mean like enough oh, i okay. like
0: I'm, I'm very lucky in that way that there's some projects
1: i don't like there's some jobs i do that like i, I they just come to me directly and i do them mm-hmm. um and uh and you know those are 100 percent based on relationships and uh and like a it, it would only be through relationships that would do that because there's because there's, we've been through it together it's a proven that we can do it we know the same language it's but those are very specific type of projects you know what I mean um uh but uh but relationships in this it's dude and every business, but you know, especially any film and TV relationships are a massive, massive part of it. Yeah. Like the oh, days yeah. of just being like a director hiding in a corner and just like doing your art don't exist anymore. That's no, I don't do know that. if it ever did though. I don't think that ever did exist. To
0: be I don't think it could. I think Stanley Cooper's the only one, honestly. <laughs>
1: but even by the time he got there, he, like he had proved himself, you know what I mean? Yeah. He had done his time. Like, you know, he was out there in the, in like, he was in the shit for a lot of years yeah. Yeah. before he became that guy, you know, like, and he, proved himself to get to that but like dude that's very few and far between mm-hmm. that people can do that like it's like anything relationships are huge 100 percent. like you I mean I'm it's the same thing with me and the people I hire I only want to work with people I like and get along with I don't care how talented a person is if like they're not like if they're not like fun to work with I don't want to do it if they're a nightmare to work with forget that life's too
0: short yeah actually I've, I've been it's reading a lot. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about this and Peter Thiel, billionaire Peter Thiel, he says that one of the main uh components of having a good startup team is everyone has to like each other. Yeah. Otherwise, things are going to break down. You know, it doesn't matter how talented people are how smart they are, you have to like each other. That's a big yes. part of it. Yeah.
1: yeah. I I mean I've learned. I've learned my life. I've been doing this long enough like I've learned. I, will, I won't I don't want to work with people who are who are just not like we I don't get along with because it's mm-hmm. just not worth it. It's just not worth it, man.
0: And the work suffers too, honestly. It's like, the
1: work yeah. suffers, the process suffers dude. We live one time. We got to enjoy this time. You know what I mean? We got to yeah. like make the best out of it. And so I don't want to spend time. And it's mutual. I know it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Like if I'm difficult to deal with, I, why would they want to hire me again? It,
0: it really is relationship-based. It's the same thing. You know, you go on a first date, you don't really, the, the chemistry is not really right. You move on, there's other people, there's other clients. It's, it's fine, you know?
1: It's, yeah. That's it, man. That's how it works. But like, it, it's being like uh the social side of things is definitely very important for uh, the, without a doubt but that's all film and tv like every everything is is like that for sure if you're if you're on an island by yourself you're going to have a hard time yeah
0: yes. absolutely
1: um you need well- to meet people it's very important you got to go out and meet people that's the advice i give people all the time like you got to be out there meeting people you might not know how it's going to like help you but it will help you yeah
0: so yeah maybe start a podcast and invite people on to meet them that could be an interesting yeah, it's a
1: great idea it's a great idea actually yeah, i think that's no, a, no, that's a very very strong idea
0: yeah um so uh, talk about how to differentiate yourself uh, as a director you mentioned relationships already i've noticed that a lot of directors specialize in certain genres say comedy visual car uh there's a lot of segmentation, I think, and specialization. Uh, how do you feel about that? Do you do that? Or, or, or just give us your thoughts no, on
1: that. I, I, just so you know, I only have five minutes left, Paul, because I got I to gotta hop on to something else. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. 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 All right. Forget that. Forget that question. We're going to do our last question. We're going to do the last question. All right. Uh, one book, one podcast, one album, one food.
1: Okay. One book. Yep. Uh, a Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving.
0: Shout out to John Irving, Canadian.
1: Yeah, uh, is he? No, he's not Canadian, but he lives. In, I know he lives in Toronto part of the year.
0: I think half Canadian, John Irving. Here we go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sort of, sort of Canadian, John Irving. Um, okay, so that was the book, the podcast.
0: Oh man, I listen
1: to a lot of podcasts. I love the rewatchables. Got to give rewatchables a shout. Out. I love that. I love that one so much. Okay. Um, what's the other ones again? Uh,
0: book. Uh, sorry, uh, album and food.
1: Okay, album. Oh man, that's really hard. Okay, food. I'll go to food first. I'm going to go a souvlaki on a pita with fries.
0: Oh, from where?
1: Uh, you're, Okay, you're going to laugh. It's a place called Esquire's in uh, right on I the know boat.
0: that place on the Bedford Highway.
1: No, no, Oh, no. sorry, it's not, Toronto. That
0: Esquire's It's in Toronto. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. VP and Shepherd area. I love All it. Right. So like It was a late night's place for me. Like when we were young going and we'd like mm-hmm. eat there late nights. I, I just love it. I love it. Uh, side of tzatziki sauce for the fries to dip the fries.
0: Shout out to Esquire in uh, North York yeah uh and uh album just two, there's a lot man um just whatever comes to your head first just go for it
1: uh, hello nasty beastie boys
0: oh old school boy, charles listen thanks so much for coming to my podcast this is charles wall he's a commercial director he's a business brain he's a friend of mine And uh, we appreciate him and taking the time to come on the podcast. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate you, man. All right, man.